Hello, and welcome to the UNITAS 2022 conference podcast. We won't discuss the reasons why it's been so long, but I'm looking forward to welcoming you all to our first annual conference since 2019. So much has changed since then in terms of the structure of the UK food and drink market, but also in many of the faces that we will see over the coming days. So welcome to you all, especially the old timers and also those who are attending their first UNITAS conference. Across the three days, we have a packed agenda of content dedicated to providing your business with the latest data, trends and insights impacting the UK food and drink sector. We will be focusing on the future, the new norm across out of home and retail, and we hope to leave you energised with a clear understanding of the opportunities that lie ahead for our industry and how UNITAS is committed to supporting you to achieve these. We're delighted to kick things off by partnering with food and drink experts, Luminar Intelligence, to produce this podcast. Over the course of the next 30 minutes, Luminar Insights Director, Blonnie Wist, will be speaking to three industry influencers to understand what the future holds for the UK food and drink market from a consumer perspective. I'll now pass you over to Blonnie, who will dive straight in. Blonnie. Thanks, John. I'm delighted to host the UNITAS Conference 2022 podcast in partnership with Lumina Intelligence. And also a big thank you to our sponsors, Danone Waters, for supporting us. Today's content is going to focus on the new norm. I'll be speaking with three industry influencers to hear how their businesses have changed, as well as their views on the challenges and opportunities facing UK food and drink over the coming months. My first guest is Ian Bowden, Director at Infused Food and Infused Training. Hi, Ian, and thank you so much for joining us today. A warm welcome to the podcast. Well, hi. Uh, Thanks for having me. So our goal today really is going to be starting the debate about the key topics that will be covered at the UNITAS conference. But first, do you think you could tell us just a bit about yourself and your business? Yeah, so uh, my name is Ian Bowden. Um, I've been in the industry for just coming up to... 28 29 years uh which i know i don't look old enough to but apparently i have <clears throat> when i look back um i i basically run two businesses uh all along the same lines one's called infused food and one's called infused training and we work in the food service industry fantastic um so obviously the last couple of years has just brought immense change to the industry what do you think will be the most long-lasting impacts of the COVID pandemic? We've had a bit of a perfect storm, haven't we, really? Uh, and with the COVID, basically a lot of the food service industries, co- companies that I work with, um, I think those that managed to survive it have come out actually a lot stronger and a lot more better, a lot more leaner, a bit more um, organised. They can adapt to the industry a lot quicker. Uh, and I think what you found was quite a lot of people who sort of fell away were the kind of people who didn't really either didn't have, weren't very flexible or were in the wrong marketplace, i.e., you know, there was a massive boom in the high street where people were just taking sites for the sake of sake, taking sites, uh, where the, you know, the the rents and the business rates in particular are absolutely astronomical. And I don't know, when you move into like a city like Birmingham, for argument's sake, with over a million people, and they're saying, well, we only need 600 people a day to keep us ticking over. Well, that's great. But then there's another 20 that need 600 as well. Um, so, you know, the, the the market share. So a lot of those companies that, that fell away, um, I think we're on, on the cards for quite a while. But the people who I'm finding now who, who've come out the other side are, are like really 
a lot stronger and a lot better positioned, a lot more flexible. They are responding quicker um, from a purchasing point of view. I mean, this is the biggest market at the moment. Um, so then we come out of the pandemic and now we've gone straight into the, the crisis at Ukraine. So I think the pandemic has actually set a lot of people up to be able to respond better to the um to, to what's happening in Ukraine, basically, especially from a, a purchase point of view and a, um, a supply chain. Because I think, you know, the supply chain at first, everyone was like, wow, wow, how, how are we going to cope with this? Um, but now I think it's almost like it's just rolled into one, hasn't it? So it's just yeah. like we yeah. haven't start, stopped it's something new. It's actually something we've been dealing with for the last, what, three, four years. Yeah, it's almost like forced disaster planning. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I think I think going forward, you'll, you'll get a lot of. Um, I think that'll probably be the top of every board meeting that we we ever attend. Now, be the first first agenda is like, what's the next disaster? Will it be a natural disaster? Will it be you know another pandemic? I, I think I think we'll see it again in my lifetime. Yeah, completely. But I guess food and drink is always in a strong position, and it's one of the most exciting markets there is. What do you think are the key opportunities for the UK food and drink industry? Oh God, I mean. I mean, you guys will know better than me regarding like from a supply chain point of view, you know, trying to, you know, where we were very much, you know, open to the world and a lot of that's been closed down from one one reason or the other. So I think there's massive opportunity for people in the UK. I saw quite a lot of large manuf- like food manufacturers who were creating to create food who have basically cut back their uh, their SKUs. So they've gone from like 300 SKUs down to 100. They've gone from the 100 top selling, selling lines and only want to sell certain ones. So a lot of the, the high streets and the larger companies are now have lost their their suppliers that would give them some sort of like niche, you know, that little point, point of difference. So I think there's some real opportunity now for some of the smaller businesses to actually step into that marketplace and actually be more, you know, more uh, dynamic, come up with some more cool, fancier things, can actually give a point of difference to a brand taking it forward. Um, and I think there's sort of a lot of opportunities for that. Um to see if people can grab it really yeah definitely but at the same time we know there are many challenges and one of the key topics people want to talk about at the conference will be costs and food inflation what's your prediction well to be fair i mean food inflation was sitting around about eight percent um so if you work that out that's about 8p in the pound so for argument's sake if your if you if your cost of goods has cost you three pounds and as, as most businesses try and run on a 70% gross profit, you're actually having to have add another 96, around 96p to a dish to stand still from your GP. So, you know, there's there's quite there's a couple of ways you can try and round that. I mean, the first port of call, what everybody tries to do is go, right, can we put our prices up? And you'll get to a point where you'll put your prices up, put your prices up, and people will just stop coming. But the other angle is actually a lot of stuff that we're doing with uh, quite a few of our clients at the moment is um, basically dish engineering. So where we're, we're looking at the dish and going, right, what can we change in the dish to try and keep the price point? Maybe cost us a, a percent or two in GP, but actually stops us from putting on the cost as best we possibly can to to our consumers. Because um, also as well, when you go to reprint as well, I mean, the cost of going to reprint actually could probably outweigh the savings that you will make you know, by adding that extra 96p in. And we're, we're looking at different things like, you know, where we can we change a burger like for like, for argument's sake, if it's got a 90% VL, can we drop to an 85 VL um, and try and keep ourselves in those parameters? 
um, and one of the one of the key things there. But however, as always, there's always a few barriers in there. One is allergens. Got to make sure if you're not changing your your menu copy, you've got to stick to your allergens. And the new one, as everybody knows, is calories. So, you know, if you if you you're trying to make like for like changes, you've got to make sure that actually <clears throat> you're sticking to your allergens and you're staying within your your is it ten to ten. 15% leeway either side and from a calorie point of view. So it's um, when people say to you, I'll oh, just change the chip. There's a lot more goes into it than just change the chip. I, I love that saying, can we just, can we just, <laughs> you know? So yeah, so there's, there's, there's ways around it. And at some point you will have to take, um, take the cost of the menu. But what I'm finding with a lot of people as well is we're actually reducing menus. So reducing the size. I think it used to get to a point where, you know, especially on a lot of brands where, a lot of the menus were very much dictated by marketing, by the marketing departments, or um, how can they put it? Um, who would come up right? We need to hit this market, this this market. We need to achieve this. We need to achieve that. And I get it, and it's great. And a lot of the times, it, it does work. But what I have found is what a lot of people now is actually reduce their menu, and getting absolutely no kickback whatsoever. So no one's turning around going, "Oh, well, where's our choice gone?" And I think a lot of consumers are actually going, um, actually, sometimes there's too much choice. Um, so one of the key things is, you know, looking at your top 10, top 20 selling dishes, keep them tight, try and work around it and, and take it from there. Really. And then everything else is just noise, um, which you can either lose from your menu or um, or basically just you haven't got to worry about it affecting your GP because for every fish and chips, you, uh, every 10 fish and chips, you're probably only going to sell one of the other dishes. And so you've got to look after your fish and chips and not to worry about the, the lamb tagine with uh, <laughs> something. So. Yes, yes, so true. And especially in a world where you just can't get the st- same level of staff, the same quality of staff that we used to be able to get. So lots of the new workforce maybe haven't been uh, working in the industry quite as long. So having a tighter menu, they're just a lot better able to sell that and really believe in the dishes that are there. And you mentioned earlier about um, sort of changing core ingredients in menus. Is there any way that that can work with food trends? So something that we see quite a lot is um, sort of more alternative cuts of meat in particular come in. So maybe it's using chicken thighs, which are arguably more delicious, but also cheaper or or skirt steak or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to be fair, there's been a massive go on to chicken thighs, chicken legs. And you're right, they taste so much better than the chicken breast. Uh, they hold better as well. The problem with chicken breast is if you you, you cook it, and you, it only holds for a certain amount of times. So and it's overcooked, it's dry, it doesn't taste for anything. But the chicken leg, you can do so much to it, marinate it, grill it. Um, and we're seeing that quite, quite a lot more because from a cost point of view as well. Um, even some of our clients are now taking whole where in the past they would take out like by just the legs or the breast and they're taking actually whole chickens and preparing it down themselves really quick one of the one of the nicest ones i saw actually i was i was working with um with a, a, a company from new zealand and one of they it was a lamb company i won't, I won't say names who they are um but what they were introducing was what they called the shoulder rack so you know a rack of lamb on your menu everyone loves a rack of lamb don't they but to put that on your menu you're looking you know it's a 30 pound plus dish and with the shoulder rack what you got was a four bone rack of lamb but two came off a traditional loin and the other two comes at the shoulder so you have this like really mixed muscle rack of lamb um and they were sous vide them and, and selling them and all of a sudden you can get a rack of lamb back on the menu for 21 pound 22 pound and it was an incredible piece of meat you know it was a lot bigger 
because he's got all the different muscles, there's a lot more flavour to it. Um, and that's where the speciality cooking comes involved, isn't it? Where you've got some great companies out there who, who are doing some really good cooks, you know, where they're, they're sous vide and they're marinading, tumbling. Um, and then they're, they're putting you through their water baths and, you know, getting the correct temperature, holding the temperature and, you know, holding down. I even saw a company that was actually uh, water bathing eggs, poached eggs. But but the eggs were in the, the shell, so the showers, they were vat-packed, they were water-bathed. And then what you did as a, as a concept was the water's boiling, you literally just cracked the egg in and it, it was cooked inside. But then you just dropped it in the water. It was um, it, it, it was different, <laughs> should we say, but there's some real innovation out there. People are really, um, you know, I think that's what's so good about this industry. The majority of people in this industry are very creative. So, you know, you give them a problem and, you know, hopefully they'll go away and come up with a solution which is you know which is key perfect well that's incredible food for thought and i think also a great teaser for all of the content at the unitas conference and the key topics so thank you so much for your time today ian no problem thank you very much such an insightful interview from ian there I loved his points about the resistance of the food and drink industry responding better to the cost of living crisis because of what everyone has had to go through in the COVID pandemic. We spoke about cost inflation in menus, and this is something we're keeping a really close eye on with our menu tracker data. As we approached spring, we saw the average cost of a dish increase by 4.2%, and this was really led by restaurants increasing at a rate of 7%. We fully expect more price rises to come as we enter autumn's dark nights, but operators are already taking action by balancing higher prices across their food menus with more accessibly priced and also less expensive alcoholic drinks options. So it does seem like many operators are reducing quality in efforts to maintain price. But for those who can't risk reducing quality, it certainly rings true that it's an advantage to keep tight to the top dishes and trim tails this year. Now let's get a food service wholesaler perspective. My next guest is Jim Kamiski, who is CEO of Fealty Group. Hi, Jim, and a very warm welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Blonnie. Nice to meet you. So we'll spend the next few minutes digging into what the most important subjects are that will be covered at the UNITAS conference. Um, but I was hoping first you could just tell us a bit more about yourself and the business you work for. Yes. Um, well, my company is called um, Fealty Group, and we are predominantly within the food service sector, um, which we started in Fealty Wholesale was born in 1998, um, which was a wholesale company, which then joined uh a food service company, which was Fealty Food Service in 2004. And then we went into the fruit and, fruit and veg sector in 2013, which is Fealty Produce. We then created the group in 2016, and that's how the Fealty Group runs today. Um, predominantly um, in the food service sector, we deliver to um, the hospitals, the care homes, prison service, um, the fast food sandwich bars, and um, hotels, restaurants. So it's a, it's it's in events, outdoor events. It's partly we, we do all everything and anything in Scotland in the food service sector. I guess a key focus of the conference will be all about post-COVID recovery and, and really just taking stock of what happened. What was the impact of the pandemic on your sales, your operations? Yeah, it was, um, let's be totally honest about it, it affected every, everybody in different ways. 
Um, at the time, we, we gradually seen um, a decrease in turnover. Uh, it started off at 20%, which moved to 30%. And then obviously, we went into predominantly into the lockdown. We, we, we peaked about 55% um, a turnover, which was um, obviously a situation that people hadn't found themselves in before. But I know some of my colleagues out there and other businesses had fell about 90, 95% in the industry, which is just completely crippling. We were fortunate enough, if we can call it that, I suppose, that we were able to diversify into other areas. And because we did um, the likes of the hospitals, etc., and care homes, and we did a lot of butchers because the independence side of the sector benefited more. You mentioned um, agility and flexibility. Is that something you also saw from your customers? Yes, you, you know, you had the situation as soon we were fortunate we did fast food Siamese bars etc um we weren't so massively into the restaurants or pubs so that helped our business but when i touched on earlier with you um the butcher side of it the independence that all came um tenfold for them because people went back to the old days like you know i would say in the 60s or 70s you know that they would go to the local butcher or go to the local fruit and veg shop uh, and they changed the whole outlook. They didn't want to be in big malts in stores, um, uh, restaurants closed. So people that were were used to going out for eating out and going to restaurants and other places, that wasn't available. And then obviously the culture changed where um, COVID hit so badly, people were quite rightly so didn't want to go far. So uh, they went to the, the local stores, uh, whether it be convenience stores or what I touched on earlier, butchers that made a big difference and also from our point of view from our business um, we done um, home delivery fruit and veg service that we, we delivered all over scotland to the to the front door so we were taking all the fruit and veg to them uh, in that time which would be a good thing for you to discuss was that we managed to put two new platforms up uh, websites within 48 hours and wow. di- diversified into the independent side to help them uh, because the vehicles were going out in areas that I was discussing to you earlier um, with um, not a lot of stock on it. So we managed to create uh, a home delivery service within a day-to-day service, um, which was a massive benefit to um, the older generation, the deprived areas, and also people with um, disability and mental issues that we could deliver to them and they didn't have to step out. And I suppose part of the recovery was those sort of quick fixes, the the things that you had to do in the moment. And what about thinking about the long term? What do you think the most relevant long term changes to the market will be? Well, to to, all, to my staff and my management and all our meetings, I, I've I've called this the year of the unknown. That's that's what we what we call it. We call it the year of the unknown because nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. Well, since two thousand and nineteen, we've been stop start stop start. Um, in the industry that we're in just now, I, I said back then that we wouldn't see changes in this industry until furlough stopped because people relied on the furlough and it wasn't going to be until that came to an end in September that eventually we we're going to start seeing how the industry was going to pan out. Um, nobody foreseen the, the shortage of in the hospitality industry of staff just that you're seeing in the airlines just now that's came a year later. 
Um, nobody foreseen that um, we would go last summer and then we would go absolutely crazy for eating out um, because it, it was a luxury that nobody had had in a few years. So in, in the business moving forward, I, I see that the people that have been in the business for a long time and, as I touched on earlier, are in a position that they own the properties or they don't, they're not got a lot out on um, contract hire. Uh, the, the, their overheads, their overheads have to be controlled. Now, I see, and this is a personal uh, opinion, that for every five restaurants, um, takeaway places, etc., you're going to lose one in every five. I, I think that that's going to happen. And I think the ones that diversify will still be here in the industry. Um, and the ones that struggled over the years, unfortunately, you're going to see a complete change on that industry sector. Yeah, it's that acceleration of a pattern that might have happened over the next 10 years. It's going to happen in a lot, lot smaller time frame. And I love what you say about the year of the unknown. I guess that's what the whole conference is about, trying to unpick what the next year could hold. Um, and I think it's also about really thinking about what the opportunities could be. So what do you think are the, the key opportunities on the horizon for UK food and drink? There's opportunities to be had out there, but at the same time, it's a structured opportunity and it's something that has to evolve people will always have to eat and drink that you can't take that away it's part of a structure of life they have to eat and drink it's how we evolve doing the business that we're all in and how much you, you, you put in it you only get out of what you put into it you know so you can react very very quickly in our industry uh, and i feel we've got some wonderful members in unitas who are doing that just now and they're, they're reacting and that's why unitas is the best buying group to be with thinking about i guess the challenges that will need to be overcome in order to untap these opportunities what do you think are the key challenges that are facing i guess either your business or the wider industry you've always got to look forward we can't look back because a, a customer at the end of the day uh, I'll be sympathetic for 24 hours. They want their, they want their order. <laughs> you know, you know, they want the delivery because they've got to have it. Um, uh, the staffing challenges that I never thought in my lifetime we would see the, the hospitality industry get decimated as much as it did. But that's a knock-on effect of people who realised the industry they worked in that they wanted to change. Their, listen, it's it's going everywhere. It's it's in the travel industry. It's everywhere. I don't want to stand checking uh, uh, Blonnie in at three o'clock in the morning with her, her luggage. I'd rather go and work, do a, a 95 job or work five days a week. What we all can't get around our head is that that there's so many jobs going out there. There's so many there's so many jobs, but we don't have the people to fill it. And I don't want to get into the politics side of things because I'm not big in that. I says, but you, you've got to fix it. Nobody's going to fix it for you. You have to fix it yourself in this industry. You know, we, 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 there, there is issues, without doubt, but you can't just sit back and accept it. Just like you can't accept losing 55% of your turnover. You've got to do something about it. Yeah, completely. So how can you protect staff, keep them engaged? I'm also a great believer that it doesn't matter how much you pay somebody. You can pay them all the money in the world, but if they're not happy at their work, there's no point. So the incentives we give them, there's... Um, there's been we we then moved to the real living wage during COVID. We done it during COVID, 
um, uh, which was a bold thing to do, but it wanted to show about the, how we care about our staff. And of course, we've we done a, a massive um, mental health awareness uh, program as well. So we set up our own um, mental health awareness program, whereas the, um, we, 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 we set up a, a company uh, that we set them up and we paid a, a retainer fee to them, a private company, because what that does, Lonnie, is it allows them to contact them and get somebody right away. They can also go in and uh, have a meeting with them and we don't know about it because I think it's so private that we should know about it. And, we get, and then we just constantly, if we have to, uh, fill up the retainer fee uh, for that. So we've got, they've got both of it. So that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim. Yes, thank you, Blun. It was nice to meet you. Jim's points really struck a chord with me when we spoke about the independence and the rise of local living, which is one of the saving graces of the last year. We spoke about diversification and really how businesses can get ahead. And I think it's really important we covered the reality of staff shortages and the importance of respect, balance and a growing focus on mental health. We speak to business leaders in our top of mind survey by Lumina Intelligence and employee mental health was an initiative that was being prioritized in businesses for six out of 10 leaders. And that's ahead of innovation and also digitalization. So it's a really core priority. Ian and Jim both mentioned how the ones who are left in the market will be the strongest. And our next guest covers these similar themes, but from more of a retail point of view. So last but not least, I spoke with Andy. Andy Morrison, who is, of course, the trading director of DB Wholesale. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. So we will be spending the next few minutes really picking your brain on some of the most pressing subjects that will be covered at the UNITAS conference. But first, would you mind just telling us a bit about yourself and your business? Yeah, certainly. I'm uh, I'm 55. I'm sure people won't believe that, but I am. I've been in the business for the last uh, five years. Spent all my working life in, in FMCG. Yeah, that's a first in. How um, how has food and drink changed in that time? Um, yeah, clearly the, the the landscape's changed considerably, hasn't it? In terms of even in that time, uh, the rise of the rise of the multiples very much the, the move of the multiples into into convenience and actually now retrenching because they realised it's damned expensive to service, I suppose. So some of the changes, home shopping and, and, and clearly the growth of digital has just changed the way we operate completely, really. Amazing. And one of the key themes that will be covered at the conference is all going to be recovery post-COVID and really taking stock of what happened. So how did the pandemic impact your sales and your operations? Our business is, and we were 60 years, 60 years old this, this year, we're, we're a mixed operation. So we've got, we've got two, two depots, one in Grimsby, one in, in, in Hull. Uh, we operate them as cash and carry, but essentially as, as delivered hubs. And we operate across both on-trade uh, and retail. Our on-trade business at the beginning of the pandemic was probably around between 10 and 15% of our, of our total business. So uh, whilst we obviously lost that business overnight, and that was a that was a challenge, we made up for that like everybody else did with the retail business. Um, so we saw it from both sides because we absolutely appreciate those members in the group who are, were on trade or food service members. I was calling some of those members on a on a Saturday morning after lockdown to try and help them move stock uh, to an extent because we needed it as well, but help them to try and move stock. Um, and it was a it was a pretty scary place for us, let alone a, a scary place for them. To be. 
Yeah, that's a great perspective to see it from the, the retail and the food service side. And I mean, safe to say everything is different now. I guess, what does the, the new normal, if you can call it that, look like for you post-pandemic? There isn't one, is there? We, we, we've come straight out straight out of that into inflation. And, and at 55, I'm, I'm old enough to remember inflation, but certainly I've got a couple of guys work for me and, 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 and most of our kind of shop floor operation has no concept of inflation, to be honest. Um, you know, the level of price increases, I, I remember again, Back in the day, scraping price tickets off uh, off every every Monday every Monday morning because pricing was was going up. And if we're not careful, we're approaching that that same scale. And that that is the new norm. That's replaced what the pandemic was. We haven't gone back to where we were in any way, shape, or form because supplies are also challenged with um, just the, the the general still the recovery. To be absolutely honest, the availability issues have continued. So that is the new norm. That was the worst thing during the pandemic and a lot of that has continued and in places bizarrely got worse. Cost of living is definitely one of the biggest subjects that will be covered at the Unitas conference. Do you think this is the biggest issue that you're facing at the moment? Absolutely. I've been in this I've been in this industry, I've just told you for all my literally all my working life. I was seventeen when I started Philly Charles. And the role I'm doing now is the is both the, the, the best job and the hardest job I've ever done. And it's it's getting harder simply because the industry, you know, we are, I describe us to, so I've done supply side and I describe us to suppliers who come and see me now or as with a butter in a sandwich. So the manufacturers of the bread, they've got a lot nice, like focaccia, they've got all the really, they've got nice, you know, and then, you know, you've got your lovely topping, that's the retailer or the, the customer, the, the, whatever topping you can think of, savoury, sweet, whatever. We're that little bit of marge that goes right over the top just to stop the, 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 the stuff on the sandwich just seeping into the bread. And that's it. And that's what we operate on. That wafer thin little bit in the middle is our business. You've then got obviously all the all the costs that are going up that are uh, out of your control. So we're a delivered wholesaler. We've got fifteen trucks. Cost about a thousand pound a time to uh, to fill up. And uh, yeah, that's continuing to go up all the time. Uh, cost of energy, electric, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Insurance. Um, everywhere you look is a, an upward cost. To be fair, and in this channel in particular it's very 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 difficult uh, because a big chunk of our business is capped in terms of the profit margins and the margin chain um, because pmp is price mark packs is the language of the market and that and that restricts clearly the uh, the amount of the, the, the amount of cash margin that you can take out of any products to share between us uh, to deliver a product to pick it deliver it make a profit pay people's wages and a retailer to do the same. So we've spoken lots about how everything is is different now and it's not the same market that it was pre-pandemic. Are there any behaviours maybe from uh, your customer's point of view or from a consumer point of view that, that have stayed the same, that, that were sticky as a result of the pandemic? I, th- I think from a customer point of view, uh, they've, because of the digital revolution to an extent, um, they've got a lot more used to, to being able to shop around and have two or three different websites open and, and compare pricing, and that's probably going to only increase as, as, the, as, the, as, as the cost of living crisis bites and, and price and becomes again becomes important to, for, for a lot of customers. Um, a lot more delivered, to be fair. Our customers, are, you know, our cash and carry business is, is still. We wouldn't want to close our cash and carries. They're, they're, they're still a good contributor to our, our overall business. And they, they, we retain quite a lot of business during the during the, the pandemic. 
um, but they're certainly not particularly growing. I, I think um, much more retailers are, are looking at perhaps a hybrid, so they'll come and top up, but a lot of the time they, they want a delivery because they've realised that, um, yeah, well, first of all, they're, they're, they're cutting their stuff in the stores and they're, they're manning the store themselves, so you can't be in two places at once. There's an element of that. Um, so some of those things have, uh, have stuck. So I'd say, although there are opportunities, it's, it's not an easy market out there and there's probably no getting away from that. Um, aside from the cost of living, what do you think the key challenges that are facing your business and, and the industry are? Um, I'd reiterate again, it's the, facing the industry, facing, facing this channel, absolutely, this PMP um, situation it, it, is becoming very challenging. We're into the second set of price increases normally in an, in an average year from a, a manufacturer increase point of view. We'd see maybe... 2030 at the beginning, 2030 suppliers in, uh, having a price review at the beginning of the year, some usual suspects on an annual basis. So far, we're up to around 140 suppliers having put price increases through so far. Um, and there is more. Um, some of those are now into the second round of increases. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if some end up three within this year. Um, and that is a massive challenge to, to try and manage. We've got to make sure that we're listing the right products and doing the right things. Um, and as I said, the, the PMP challenge within that mix is now becoming harder and harder and harder. But we have to end on a positive note. What opportunities are on the horizon? At the beginning of the pandemic, there was doom and gloom in, the, in, in this business and it was the world was ending. And, and I made the point that um, we haven't got a big factory at the back of this warehouse making widgets that um, nobody now wants. Um, we've, got a, we've got a warehouse full of food and drink, including chocolates, crisps, soft drinks, <laughs> Yeah, uh, beer, wine, spirits. Everyone has to eat, and in a, in any kind of bad situation, um, people default to something they feel comfortable with. Uh, and uh, comfort eating, we saw that with with just the consumption of of alcohol, frankly, during the pandemic, and and sweets and chocolate as well. Um, which okay, you got to balance that with what's good for the for the health of the nation to an extent, but. Um, Undoubtedly, uh, you know, the bottom line thing in terms of opportunities, we're in a sector that um, will continue to be around because people need to need 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 to eat and drink. And uh, in the sectors that we want, that we serve, they absolutely want to eat and drink. People will still want to go to the pub. They will still want to go to socialise. They will still want to enjoy themselves, even when life is really hard and challenging. They may not do it as often, but they'll still go. Yeah, completely. And that's what people call the lipstick effect, isn't it? Maybe it's not a big holiday they're splurging on or a new car, but it's those everyday treats. It's um, a pint at the pub or it's a bar of chocolate. So that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Andy. You're welcome. Thank you very much. So incredibly interesting to hear those words of wisdom from Andy. Andy is truly in the thick of it. And I have to say his phone did not stop ringing during the whole interview. Now, there are various mechanisms we spoke about that retailers can try and use to demonstrate value, including PMP and, of course, also promotion. And following the energy price caps change and national insurance rise, there's been a definite uplift in the percentage of shoppers who are buying on price mark packs and on promotion, just showing how shoppers are seeking out those value options in store. In fact, in the last three months up to the beginning of July, 46% of shoppers included a price mark pack item in their basket. And the opportunities for food and drink are clear. And as Andy says, everyone has to eat and drink. But what really stood out to me is how everyone I spoke to identified what a unique and exciting market full of talented people the UK food and drink industry is. 
I'm afraid to say that this now brings a close to the podcast. Firstly, a big thank you to my guests, Ian, Jim and Andy for taking the time to speak to me. And also thank you to Danone Waters for supporting and sponsoring the podcast. I hope this has given you a sneak peek into the brilliant content you can expect in Tenerife at the UNITAS Conference 2022. I'll now hand you back to John Kinney for the closing remarks. Thanks so much, Blonnie. Three brilliant and insightful interviews. We hope you found this beneficial and it gives you a taste of the content you can expect over the coming days in Tenerife. I look forward to seeing you all there. But that's it for now. Thanks so much. See you soon.